I, uh, I've always enjoyed uh, my time with you on Wednesday, and um, I've got five Wednesdays, and so um, I've made a statement along the way, uh, and uh, have not just said it here, but said it in several places. And I told people I've always had a love affair with the book of Leviticus. And uh, (laughs) there are people that look at me very strangely when I say that. I I just haven't ever met anyone else that said my favorite book in the Bible is Leviticus. And uh, so um, that's what I'm going to do for my Bible classes with you. And it's just simply going to be entitled that, A Love Affair with Leviticus. And so uh, um, there are five offerings that are mentioned in the first five chapters of Leviticus. We'll try and cover those five in these five lessons. And maybe I can convey to you just a, a little bit about why I think Leviticus is such an important book. It's... Uh, it gets its name from Levi. And um, because Leviticus is, uh, if you've ever heard of, of a word called Septuagint, which is a, uh, another uh, way to approach the scriptures in, in another format, um, it, it refers, under, under, under Leviticus it says, as pertaining to the priest. And uh, the reason that's important is in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, Peter said, you are a chosen generation. Just, just to give you, I, I, I don't have my Bible with me here, um, but l- l- let me explain to you, and just this is the perfect setting to show you why I like Leviticus. I, I like going to the places in the Bible that other people don't go to because I think there's great uh, lessons because the scripture said all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and all of it is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. And so if you study the book of Matthew chapter 1, and study the first 17 verses. Um, Most people, when they start reading the New Testament, they'll go to probably Matthew 1 and 18. It'll say, now the birth of Jesus was on this wise. But they don't ever read, this guy had this son, and he had this son, and he had this son. And uh, so the fastest fingers in the oneness movement is back here in the sound room again tonight, and I'm sure he'll find it for me. And uh, would you just join me just for a moment to thank Matthew Cothran for everything that he does so well. (laughs) (laughs) Matthew is the finest scripture finder. I've ever met. I, I've been in a lot of formats, and he can read my mind many times. And a lot of times, even before I say it, he's got it on the screen behind me. And I love him for that. And uh, uh, But 
It says, if, if I can remember how it goes in Matthew chapter 1, it said that there were 14 generations uh, from Abraham until, I think it says, the carrying away into Babylon. And then it'll say there were 14 generations from the carrying away in Babylon until David. Is that what, is that what it says, Matthew? 14 generations from the carrying away into Babylon under Christ are 14 generations. Oh, the, okay, from Abraham to David are 14. From David to Babylon are 14. And from Babylon to Jesus are 14. So 42 generations. But if you study those 17 verses, there aren't 42 generations. There's 41. And the reason is obvious when you understand 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. You are the 42nd generation. You are the chosen generation. And I, I, it's not original with me, but Jesus didn't have any grandkids. He doesn't have any aunts, uncles, or I should say he doesn't have any nieces or nephews. Jesus only has sons and daughters. So the church, which you can prove in the word, is our mother. The church has been having kids for over 2,000 years. And there aren't any grandkids yet. We are all sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And that's important because, you know, it said he's the firstborn among many brethren. So we are joint heirs with Christ. We all get the same inheritance. So it's, it's, a, it's everybody gets the same heaven. And uh, now I don't know what this means, but in Revelation it said there are 12 foundations in the New Jerusalem. But in the, in the Greek language it said there are 12 floors. <laughs> So, somebody's going to live in a penthouse. <laughs> so, there are obviously rewards and there are crowns that are given. And I don't claim to understand all that, but, um, but I do know uh, we're all going to enjoy the same heaven. And so, um, in many ways, we are joint heirs with him. If we suffer together, we'll be glorified together. And so Peter says, we are a chosen generation, and then it says this, a royal priesthood, or a kingly priesthood. I don't want to be chasing rabbits here right now, but this is why David was so powerful, because he was a king and a priest. And it says, we are a royal priesthood. And when you open the book of Revelation, Revelation, only book in the Bible where it says, I'll bless you if you just read it. <laughs> it doesn't say you have to understand all that stuff. But it says if you'll read it, there's a blessing in it. But at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, it says in verse 6 that he has made us all kings and priests. And so when you deal with the book of Leviticus, 
it's, it's, it's dealing not just with the priesthood of, of the Levites in the Old Testament. As truth is, in Leviticus, it, it doesn't, it's not dwelling on the Levites as far as those people. Who, who were the Levites? Um, I, I think it's the 32nd chapter. The 32nd chapter of Exodus is when Moses came down from the mountain. He'd been there 40 days. When he came down, they're naked, dancing around a gold calf. And um, if you study uh, Egypt, Egypt had a, a god called Osiris, which was a cow. And it, this, this, this had to be, this broke Moses' heart when he came. These people have been miraculously delivered from the plagues. The Red Sea has opened up. There are so many things. He destroyed Pharaoh's army. He, he, he gave them quail to eat. He gave them manna. There's a fascinating verse that says they drank of that rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So they always had water. They always had something to eat. There was a cloud that gave them shade in the day and gave them heat at night. It said none of their shoes and their clothing wore out. It said there was not a feeble one among them. I mean, these, these people were fabulously blessed by God. And yet when Moses comes down out of the mount after being in the raw presence of God, they're naked dancing around a cow, and when he confronted his brother, this is what his brother said. Well, uh, we took up an offering, and the women uh, took their earrings off, and they took their bracelets off, and their necklaces off. We threw it in the fire, and out came that cow. That's what he said. <laughs> it's fascinating when you read what Moses did with that golden image. Does anybody know what he did with it? Huh? He ground it up and he put it in their water and made them drink it. It's, I don't have time to get sidetracked here, but the gold's supposed to be on the inside, not the outside. That's why we're not big fans of a lot of bling. We want the gold to be on the inside. Now you can hang it all over yourself. One of my heroes was G.A. Mangan. And G.A. Mangan said to me one time, he said, if they wouldn't have done this, God would have buried them in gold. Just to prove to the rest of the world how much he had blessed them. But he said, they did this. He said, I'm not going to let you show off your gold anymore. I want it to be on the inside. And... Moses asked a powerful question. He said, I want to know who's on the Lord's side. And that's when it said the tribe of Levi went and they stood with their pastor. And uh, there's a lot of prophecy here. And there's a lot. I'll just, you know, prophecy is going to pray, play a larger role in church in the coming years. And uh, we're all sensing it. Things are going on that um, are just not only disappointing, they're scary, really. 
that this country is losing its foundation. And uh, never been a country like the United States of America. It's the most blessed country in the history of the world. We have given more uh, to other nations. We've given more to the kingdom of God than any other country there's ever been. But we're losing our foundations now. And so uh, prophecy will play a greater role in my ministry and in a greater role in our lives. And uh, there are three groups of people in the Old Testament. First of all, there was the high priest and his sons. Then there was the tribe of Levi, the people who stood on the Lord's side. And then there's everybody else. And when you go into the New Testament, those three categories of people are found. He's our high priest. So you've got the high priest and his sons. Okay? So that's the first category. But then, after the church is taken, the Bible in Thessalonians and in other places talks about a group of people who obviously weren't in, in what the catching away or what's called the rapture. They weren't there. But what they did know about the Lord, they loved so much that they're willing to give their lives for it. That's what I was referring to Monday at prayer. It said they were beheaded for their testimony and for the word of God. There's only one group of people cutting people's heads off right now, folks. And that's why this Islam thing is, is going to play a massive role in prophecy in the years to come. But there are people who are going to stand on the Lord's side. And then you have the judgment where everybody else is basically all lumped in together. And so there are so many analogies and typology from the old. Look at, look at, the, look at the story of Noah and the flood. You have three groups of people here. You have Enoch who represents a group of people that were caught away. They were just caught away. And uh, I, I, I told you recently, Enoch was one of only two people in the Bible uh, that didn't see natural death. And that's true to this point. <laughs> because Enoch and Elijah are the only two people who literally were caught away and didn't experience natural death. However, when the Lord comes, it says that they which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord. So there are, there's going to be more than two when this thing's played out. But as of right now, there's only two. Uh, personally, I'd like to be one of them people that don't experience natural death. <laughs> But uh, it's uh, quite possibly in the cards for me to die. And uh, I, I've told you this again and again. I've tried to show you how to live. And when the day comes, if that day comes, then I want to show you how to die. And uh, uh, Brother Merrick taught me a lesson so powerful years ago when his wife died. She had cancer. And uh, ironically, when Donna died... She was cancer-free. So all of that chemotherapy and radiation, whatever, it, it, it killed cancer. The only problem is it killed everything else. It's like scorched earth. 
So the cancer was gone, but her body couldn't sustain the, the damage that was done. And so Brother Merrick, um, who was a magnificent elder, wonderful pastor and Bible teacher, superintendent in Minnesota for many years, he went to the church to pray, and he was, his heart was broken. And he said, your word says, perfect peace have them that love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. And he said, Lord, if there's anybody that's tried to live right, it's me. And that's true. And everybody knew he was, he was very strict. He was very, very, um, um, very, very disciplined. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. I was a young evangelist, and I was speaking there, and I mentioned Louis L'Amour. And uh, Louis L'Amour is a... Western writer. And the reason I found Louis Lamore was because of Brother Tenney's wife. Sister Tenney said, Harold, have you ever read a Louis Lamore Western? And I said, no. She said, oh, you need to read Louis Lamore. You'll be a better preacher if you, learn, if you read Louis Lamore because he was great with words, you know. So I, I, I loved Louis Lamore and uh, read all of his books. And Mentioned that when I was in Duluth. <laughs> Bad idea. <laughs> when I got done, Brother Mary got up behind me, as stern faced as anybody, and said, uh, Our evangelist has mentioned Louis L'Amour today, and he said, I want all of you to know that this church condemns Louis L'Amour Westerns, and uh, we do not read literature like that in this church. And I was like, <clears throat> Uh, whatever. So I apologized to him after this. I said, I'm sorry. I, 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 didn't, I, I, I didn't ever mean to do anything disrespectful. But I said, would you tell me why you're so against Louis L'Amour? He said, because he says hell and damn. And I said, well, so does the Bible. So uh, bad argument. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> But as far as a man that was very cautious about his words and how he lived, and he said, I've loved your law all of my life. And he said, alone at that altar, after burying his wife, the Lord spoke to his heart and said, you don't love all of my law. And he said, of course I do. I've done everything I could to not add or take away. And he said, the Lord said, you love my laws that govern living, but you've never learned about my laws that govern dying. And he said, precious in my eyes is the death of one of my children. You don't view it as precious. You're stingy. And all you think about is what you no longer have, but you don't understand what I now fully possess. And he said, I have laws that govern the way you live, and I have laws that govern the way you die, and you need to fall in love with both of them. And that, I never forgot that. And so, I want to live right, and I want to die right. And, and we, are, we are kings and priests. And this book, I believe, 
See, see, an Old Testament man believed that he lived on through his sons. And, and they, didn't, uh, they didn't sorrow with, with, with the death of an elder like we do because those men died with faith in their heart knowing that what they had lived for was going to go on through their children. Brother Sarsfield, uh, we were talking with him after service, and he said, look, there are many things in the Middle Eastern culture that are difficult, but he said there are things in that culture that we could learn a lot from. And he said that uh, uh, just less than half a block from his house was a woman who was over all of the northern part of Mali. And that's where, you know, if you ever heard of Boko Haram, Boko Haram kidnapped hundreds of little girls several years ago. Two of them jumped out of the back of one of the trucks and ran into the, into the woods and they couldn't catch them. They're the only two that they, I think it's been four years now, they've never heard anything from, and how would you like your little girl to go to school and never come back? Because somebody kidnapped the whole school and took them. That's, that's what they did. They've taken these kids and uh, raised them in a strict world, uh, a madrasa, which is an Islamic Sharia law school. I, I, was in, I was in Dearborn not terribly long ago, and I went to a hardware store. And there was a galvanized bucket there with these sticks, different size sticks, all about the same length, but different thicknesses. And I asked the owner, I said, what are the sticks for? And he said, have you ever heard of Sharia law? And I said, yes. He said, well, the Muslims control Dearborn now. And he said, according to Sharia law, a man can beat his wife with a stick, but it can't be any bigger than his biggest figure. And he said, some of them boys got big fingers. And he said, I sell them sticks to them guys because they use them to beat their wives. That's just, uh, that's what my, this, she, I'm trusting she'll be here. I really believe God put me in her life. But this is what this lady, Sherry, was talking to him about several weeks when she said, there's no intimacy in Islam. There's not the love. And, and there's, there's, this, this, this walking with Jesus Christ is a better way of living. And, 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 and so he, he told me, Brother Sarsfield, he said, the safest place I could be in all of Mali was to go into the house of that woman. He said, now that woman, he said, it, it, it didn't matter who invaded that city. If I was in her house, I was her family. And she would give her life before she would let any harm come to me once I had come into her home. And, and it's it just, he said, the way that they treat elders and the way that they have their family structure, he said, it's superior to, to what, if you listen to this Black Lives Matter thing, one of the things in their statement, their, 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 their what do you call it, their mission statement, they want to tear down the family structure as it exists right now. Because I, I taught you a couple weeks ago, this, there, 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 is a, there is a massive effort being made to change this country. 
And if you're going to change it, you need, you need to be able to control the education system. You need to be able to control the family. And you need to be able to control churches. Because those are the three major places of instruction in our culture. And the educational system is pretty much gone. And uh, there's a war against families right now. And we're starting to see it. It's going to heat up in the years to come. There will be a war against church. Because we teach concepts and precepts that they hate. And so you're going to have to decide, uh, uh, you know, what do you believe? And what are you going to live for? And, and, and this, this is a good, because it's like, who's on the Lord's side? Where are you? You know, is this just a hobby with you? Is this just a, a pastime? Or is this a lifestyle? And you understand the value of a consecrated life unto the Lord. Be, 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 because I, I, the, the key word in this book of Leviticus is the word holiness. Now, I, I was raised in a holiness church. And when, if you've ever been around classic Pentecostal people, I've said this for years, we are Pentecost by experience, but we're apostolic by lifestyle, which means that we want to live the way the apostles taught in the early church. And so, um, it, it, it is important when you, to understand the concept of hope, because where I, the way I was raised, when you said holiness, that was a tune on a clothesline. That was dresses on women, pants on men, uncut hair on women, cut hair on men. That we had these holiness standards. They are called. And I'm not against modesty. And I've always lived. You want to know what I believe? Look at my wife. And look at the way she looks and look at the way I try to live. It's not about my look look at the way I look right now. I I, I can go into this city and I will not stand out with this hairdo, with the clothes that I wear. Men that's why in the book of um, uh, Timothy, Timothy said, I would I how 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 can I say I, I would that all men uh, there, that, that's it. I'm, I'm having a. That how, how's it? Quote it for me. That all men everywhere will lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting, which are the two things that men fight. This doubt and anger. Said I want men to be able to lift up holy hands without being mad all the time and having a life of faith. But if you look at the next verse, it said, in like manner also, I want the women to be modest. See, I was always taught that the Bible teaches modest women and modest men. But the more I've looked at it, the Bible doesn't teach modest women and modest men. It teaches modest women and praying, worshiping men. That doesn't mean women aren't supposed to pray or worship. But what it's saying is, our, let's face it, our women stand out with their appearance. And they're supposed to because we are witnesses. All right? People ought to be able to look at us 
You know, it's, there's an old statement. If you were accused of being an apostolic, is there enough evidence to convict you? If we lined you up with 20 people at random in this city, do you look any different if you're a woman? I believe you do, you know. But as far as men, we don't stand out with our appearance. And I believe what Paul is teaching is, that, let's face it, people have made fun of our women with their dresses and their hair and their powderless pores and they don't have all this bling on and all this stuff. And it's like, uh, it, 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 it takes a lot of courage to be an apostolic woman in, in this environment. I, 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 I am amazed at women many times who allow these male fashion designers to tell them what looks good on a woman. Let me give you a little secret. These guys don't even like girls. You understand what I'm saying? Why would you let, why would you let a pervert tell you what looks like what looks good on a woman? But that's what they'll. they'll, they'll my wife gets design, decorator magazines. Man, I wish I could sell them dudes for what I paid for, because I got a lot of money in magazines. But it's winter, and I know what's going to happen. What's the color going to be next year? You know, because it used to be, you know, whatever orange I think was the one last year. Now, you know, there's now if you need a nice couch, there's a couch out there in the fellowship hall. I think it's a beautiful couch. I bought it years ago. It's been used very, very little, but I had two of them, one stacked on top of the other. I don't have room for it, so I put it in the fellowship hall. My wife is absolutely mortified that I put the red and green couch in the fellowship hall. She said, you got to get that out of here now. (laughs) I asked a precious sister in the church Sunday, I said, do you need a couch? Would you like to have this couch? And she looked at me and she said, no, I don't need a couch. And she said, it's a nice couch. She said, and then she said, but it's 80s. It's 80s. <laughs> and she's right. It is. I just like that couch. I thought it was beautiful. My wife is, and I said, I'm going to hang on to that dude. And it's going to come back in sooner or later. It's coming back. And she said, green's coming back, Harold. But guess what? It won't be the green that it was 20 years ago. It, it, it'll be a little These guys got to sell magazines. So they're, every year they're going to, and if you follow those trends, you're going to go out of your mind trying to keep up with those people. Because they, every year they got, my wife would get this magazine called Architectural Digest. And it was like, I just, we just quit the subscription because they, they ran out of ideas. I mean, I saw rooms and I said, isn't this fabulous? And I'm going, it looked like kindergarten kids just, just went nuts in this room. And it's kind of, to me, a, a statement of the confusion that's really in this world right now many times. And, and, and <laughs> I'm getting, I'm way off the track here right now. But if you want a couch, I'll give you a nice couch. 
You know, put a slip cover over it if you want to. I don't care. I just would like it to go to a nice home. I just, I just see decorators and designers just trying to tell us what. Let me. If you like the colors in your house, who cares whether anybody likes it or not? It's your house. <laughs> and when we're dealing with this apostolic lifestyle. Jesus said this. I, 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 I preached a message one time years ago. It was one of the greatest messages I ever preached in my whole life. I did it one time, threw it in the box, and I've never done it again. And, and, and it, 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 it was, who did Jesus serve? That was my message. Because this is what Jesus said. I always do the thing that pleases my Father. So he goes into the pool of Siloam, and he steps over who knows how many sick people, and he looks at this one guy, and he said, would you like to be healed? And so the guy, you know, remember that pool that once a year the angels would drag their wings through the water, and that water would turn into some magic elixir, and whoever could get in the water first was healed? Jesus said, would you like to be healed? And the guy said, I don't have anybody to get me in the water. That's not the question, dummy. I didn't ask you if you wanted to get in the water. I asked you, would you like to be healed? And Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Immediately, the guy jumped up. And took off. And Jesus left. But if you read the, it's the book of John, it said there were hundreds of people laying around there waiting for the troubling of the water. Jesus healed one guy and left. Why? I believe that was the one guy he was supposed to pray for. You know, as a pastor, there's such pressure on you. You have to serve the people. I'll level with you. My job is not to please you. My job is to please him. That, that's my job, is, is to do my best to protect this church the best I know how. Because there's, 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 I did it a couple months ago, but there was something, there was the bride and there was the bridegroom and there was the friend of the bridegroom. And the groom would take his best friend and give him the duty of training his bride for one year. This, you know, she'd come out and he'd say, ah, nah, he don't like that color. You need to get rid of that color. Okay. And, and he, no, he doesn't like that. This is what you need to cook. And train this woman so that when she'd married this man, she cooked him what he liked and she dressed the way he liked. And, and to me, that's the perfect picture of a pastor. The, the, the worst thing that could ever happen is if the friend, if the bride fell in love with the friend of the bridegroom. My job is not to get you to fall in love with me. My job is to get you to fall in love with him. And that's where I see so many problems in church today where preachers, it's like, oh, buona, you know? I know pastors, it's like kissing the Pope's ring. You know, I, I, I made a statement years ago, and, and, and I, I said, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, there will never be a sign out there that says reserved for the pastor. I go to churches, and I mean right by the, I mean the best, the best parking spot in the parking lot. 
Reserved for the pastor? Reserved for the pastor's wife. Reserved for the assistant pastor? Reserved for the assistant pastor's wife. Reserved for the worship pastor? Reserved for the worship pastor's wife. Here's the youth minister. That's a country club. See, in a country club, the members get the best spots. We're not running this church like no country club. That's why I park on Sunday. I I park over in the doctor's parking. I park as far away from the door as I can get. Why? I want the guest to have the best parking spots. (laughs) Jesus said, I didn't come to be ministered to. I came to minister. And I just see too many churches where it's a personality-driven church. And when the pastor dies or does something stupid, the whole thing falls apart. I would be ashamed to die and this church fall apart. That's why we're doing our best to teach you and build it on a foundation of the word. So that when I'm dead and gone or whatever, the thing goes on. And and that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and, And I'm trying to get something across to you. It's just holiness is not a tune on a clothesline. People say, what is the nature of God? God is love. No, 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 no. His love, his nature is holiness. What is holiness? That you love what's right and you hate what's not right. That's holiness. That's the nature of God. He loves what's proper. He disdains things that aren't proper. That's holiness. And when you study the book of Leviticus, the key word is holiness. Because I wish I had time to teach you this, but there are body parts. The Bible talks about that the eyes of your understanding, okay? It talks about your bowels of compassion. And, and when there are attributes of God, it's, it's identified with, with, with something physical. But there's a word, used to your homework, there's a word that's always coupled with holiness in the Bible. What is it? Beauty. Serve God in the beauty of holiness. And, and, and that's why this book is so powerful. Hey, look, here's Leviticus 11 and verse 44. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore sanctify yourself, which means separate yourself. You're, sep- you're set- separated from the world unto him. Okay? And you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourself with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. For I am the Lord that brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy. For I, this is what Peter, Peter's quoting this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. What does that mean? It means we ought to be, the word church in the Greek language is a word ekklesia, which means the called out ones, that we're, we're, we're not like everybody else. And if you want to serve God and be like everybody else, good luck. <laughs> it's not going to work because nobody can serve two masters. You're going to love one and hate the other. Sooner or later, you're going to have to decide who's sitting on the throne in your life. And, 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 and this book is an instruction manual on how people can get closer to God and get in his presence. I, 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 uh, 
let, let, let me go real fast. It, it's when, when, when you study the book of Hebrews, there's, to me, I, there's probably more, but I can only think of three chapters in the Bible that every verse in the chapter is dedicated to one subject. Psalms 119, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, every verse talks about the Word of God. Every verse. When you deal with 1 Corinthians 13, every verse deals with charity or with love. But when you deal with Hebrews 11, every verse is about faith. You know? But watch. See, I don't know if I wrote it down. Uh... Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain a good report through faith. Uh, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are made were not made out of things which do appear. Okay, what? I've got to be close to verse 4, aren't I, Matthew? Look, look what it says in verse 4. By faith, Abraham. Mm-mm. Now, everybody knows Abraham is the father of the faithful. And there are many, many, the three great most populous religions in the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, all of them claim Abraham is their daddy, okay? And, and, and it's, it's what I was talking about Sunday, about that second birth thing. Uh, Islam is, is not about Isaac, it's about Ishmael. <laughs> there's, there's, watch, oh, boy, I, boy, I got to be careful. I'll get sidetracked right now. Here's verse four: By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. Okay, look at the next verse. It'll talk about Enoch. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death, for he had this testimony that he pleased God. Look at verse six: By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah warned of God. Moved with fear, prepared an ark. Isn't it amazing that the book, that the chapter that's dedicated to faith doesn't begin with the big kahuna of faith? I would thought it would start with Abraham, but it doesn't start with Abraham. It starts with Abel. And then it mentions Enoch, and then it mentions Noah. Now, there are several reasons for this, but here's one thing you can learn. What is Noah famous for? He built an ark, okay? He, he, he worked for God. What is Enoch famous for? He walked with God. But what is Abel famous for? His sacrifice, his worship. See, there are people who work for God that don't walk with God. They do a lot of spiritual stuff. When we built this building, I'll be very, very transparently honest to you. It took almost two years to build this building. I could probably count on one hand how many hours I prayed in two years. It was just from morning to night working on this building. And I would come into church on Sunday, and I'd be dead dog tired, ashamed. I hadn't studied. I hadn't prayed. And the Lord would give me a little thought, and I'd get up there and preach like I was at the general conference. I would preach these amazing messages, and it was like, wow, that sounded really good, you know. 
But I'll be, when we moved into this building, if God ever dealt with me, this is what I felt him say to me. I've carried your carcass for almost two years now. Now you get back in that Bible and you bend your knees and start praying again because I'm not covering you no more. I was working for God, but I wasn't walking with him. See, there are people who walk with God and people who walk with people that walk with God. In in the Bible, I always get them confused. There's Elijah and then there's Elisha, okay? So Elijah walks with God. Elisha is walking with Elijah, but he's walking with God too. But when Elijah was taken, Elisha has a servant named Gehazi. Gehazi doesn't walk with God. He's just walking with Elisha. He's the one that God literally put Naaman's leprosy on his head. Here's here's Paul. Paul walks with God, but he's got this guy named Demas. Demas doesn't walk with God. He's just walking with Paul, who's walking with God. You got Abraham walking with God, and you got Lot hanging out with Abraham. He doesn't have a walk with God. It's not enough just to hang around people that walk with God. You need a walk with God in your own life. I know that's simple, but it's very profound. You've got to walk with Him. And so when I look at Hebrews 11, the thing that it's coming right out of the gate telling you is, Worship! Worship! Here's John 4 and 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Watch. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. I have a friend, Jeff Arnold, who is this great preacher. And if you want to hear what I think is, I wouldn't say it's the best thing he's ever done because he's done many things that are just absolutely astounding. But he did a series of lessons years ago called You Might Be What God's Looking For. Because it says... Father seeking worshipers. It's just, you know, it's just the, the, Christ, the, the, the Christian world wants better workers. God wants better worshipers. All right? So let's not just mimic Noah's work or Enoch's walk. Let's make sure we imitate Abel's sacrifice and his life of worship. And that's what Leviticus is all about. How, how do, do people like you and me get closer to God and get in his presence? I'll, I'll give you the cliff notes because you, you've been working hard already. And so I, I, 10 more minutes and I'll hush up. The thing that I'll show you again and again and again and again in the five offerings of the book of Leviticus, that there, 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 there is a factor of three that comes in here again and again and again. Because what you're going to find is these offerings are scaled down economically. I'll show you what I mean by that. It, 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 look, look here, here's Leviticus 1 and 3. This is the first chapter, which talks about the burnt offering, okay? In 1 and 3, it says, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd... Okay, here's one in 10. If his offering be of the flocks, 
namely sheep or goats. Here's verse 14. And if the burnt sacrifice for the offering to the Lord be of fowls, he shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of pigeons. So what you're going to find is this, this, I'll show it to you. It pops up again and again. It's astounding. It's like there, 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 first of all, there was an offering of a, of an oxen. There was a, an offering from the herd. You, you, you couldn't just give anything. You had to give a, an oxen, which was kind of like a John Deere tractor. Yeah, they, these, are, these are farming people. So, so, so animals play a big role in their life. And, and he said, now, yeah, I want you to offer a sacrifice from the herd. Then it scales it down because not everybody had cows. Not everybody had oxen. It said, but if you, if you, if you weren't the wealthy, if, let's call it middle class. I'll prove it to you later. They were called the common people. If you were middle class, you could give something from a flock. A flock wasn't cows. It was sheep, a flock of sheep, or a flock of goats. Okay? If, 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 you, if you were economically challenged, and you didn't have goats, and you didn't have sheep, you could give birds. So you had the herd the flock, the fowl. But it says turtle doves and pigeons. And I wondered, what's that talking about? And what I found out was the meat of a turtle dove is very tender for about six months of the year. And afterward, it gets tough. But after it gets tough, the, 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 the meat of a pigeon is, is, is very tender. So depending on what time of the year it was, and you were economically challenged, and you're bringing your sacrifice to the Lord, it, it, you couldn't give a pigeon when, when pigeons weren't in season. You had to give turtle dove. And it, you get a little insight in this. I found this, where's this verse at? Uh, with Mary. Uh, mm, it, it, I, I just, just if you'll study it, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, it's very clear that she brought an offering of birds. Why? They weren't wealthy people. Jesus wasn't, way, wasn't raised with means. His daddy was a carpenter. And we have Joseph on the scene until the age, till Jesus is 12. But when Jesus begins his ministry, Joseph is never mentioned. For that reason, almost all commentators believe somewhere before Jesus began his ministry, Joseph died. And, and, and he was raised by a single mom. And, and they, they weren't wealthy people. But, but there's, 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 there's so, ah, I, I, let, let me just watch. Here's Malachi. Watch Malachi. Here's Malachi 1 and verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? If I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord? O priest that despise my name. And you say, well, where would we ever despise you? In verse 7, you offer polluted bread upon my altar. And you say, wherein have we polluted thee? And, and that, you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame or the sick, is that not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be... He, here's, here, let me read it to you from the message. Isn't it true that a son honors his father and a worker his master? So if I'm your father, where's my honor? If I'm your master, where's your respect? 
I love this. God of the angel armies. It'll say God. Yours said the Lord of hosts. But the message always calls it the God of the angel armies. It's calling you on the carpet. You priest despise me. And you say not so. How do we despise you? By your shoddy, sloppy, defiling worship. You ask, what do you mean defiling? What's defiling about it when you say the altar of God is not important anymore? Worship of God is no longer a priority. That, see, see if you, if you, it says in verse 7, you offer polluted bread on my altar. I wish I had time to teach you about this, but there was something called show bread. They were 12, looked like pancakes, and they were on this, this, this table. When you went into the holy place to your left, was 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 uh, this this amazing menorah that that seven tiered candlestick in front of you was an altar where incense was being offered and to your right was this table and it it had it's called show bread on it it looked like twelve two stacks six pancakes basically in each stack but it's very clear every week them pancakes better be gone. Every week, that showbread needs to be eaten by the priest. And this is what the Lord is saying to through Malachi to the people. You are offering polluted bread to me. What is that? There's many things you can get, but this is what it's saying. We are priests, okay? Will you agree with me on that? We're priests. You should never go more than seven days without having access to the Word. You should never... Go longer than seven days and have access to the bread of life. But these people are defiling that. And look at verse number eight. This, 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 this is amazing. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifices in worship, animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind, sick, crippled animals, try a trick like that with your banker or your senator. How far do you think that'll get you? God of the angel armies ask you. It's like, it's like, see, you know, they, off, they offered sacrifices back then, that these offering. It's like they're going to church and some dude in front of them runs over runs over a sheep with his chariot and they hop out and say still good man throw that in the trunk and and go to church say here's my sacrifice and he said why are you bringing me roadkill why are you giving me animals that are blind and sick you wouldn't give that to anybody else but you'll give it to me and, and, and I, 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 these these are verses that were always important to me it's it's um uh, one and three. Here's one and three. If Leviticus one and three. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. His own voluntary will. That explains why it says in one and nine that it's a sweet savor offering. It, it, the, the, there's five offerings here, but the burnt offering and the meal offering and the peace offering these were all sweet savor offerings but there's a sin offering and a trespass offering they're not sweet savor offerings which means they're they're not optional these 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 first things that are mentioned here you did this because you wanted to 
You, 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 you're not, you're now sin, you have to have a sacrifice for sin. And trespass is just as bad. It's mandatory. But when you deal with this burnt offering, this is something that you realize, he's been so good to me. This is an offering of thanksgiving is what this is. I'm offering this unto him. I'm so grateful for what he's done. And I don't care if you were wealthy enough to have cows, fine. Then you go out in that herd and you pick out the best cow you can find. And if you got sheep, you pick out the best sheep you can find. And if you got birds, pick out the best. See what I'm saying? God, see, if, 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 you, if you had flocks, God would never expect you to give a cow. But he would never let you get away with offering a bird. God never expected us. The Bible said in Romans 12, it's our reasonable service. God never expected people to give something they couldn't give. But what he was saying is, whatever you give me, I want it to be the best you got. So if you're going to stick your hands up, don't do You know, it's it just, if we're, I, 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 I could stay here a long time, but it's, it's time for me to stop and this stupid thing's falling off my ear. But it's just, it, it's, it's, think of it. Think of it. You've got this amazing cow and you take it there and you couldn't burn up everything. They wouldn't let you burn the skin. Even, 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 I could talk about the crop of his feathers. It's, I remember the first time I shot a grouse with my dad and we were field dressing in the woods and I said, Daddy, what in the world is that? He said, that's his crop. And I said, what's that? He said, cut it open. I cut it open, it had little rocks in it because these grouse swallow pebbles and then they eat stuff that their stomach's not able to digest. So these rocks grind it all up and then they can eat it. And, and birds had crops. But if you, if you, if you read the sacrifice, you, you, you took the crop out. Then you didn't do, didn't do that to the Lord. And I'm saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what? For goodness sakes, man, that's the best cow I got. And you're burning that thing up. Have you ever smelled burnt meat? I'm not talking well done here. I'm talking burn that dude. We had, we had something amazing happen to us. Started out horrible, but it was amazing. Nicole, Nicole Weiss was very, very sick. And so my precious wife said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make your meals. And, and so my wife, once a week, would make meals for the whole week for the Vice family. And she bought this food, this bag thing that, you know, sucks the air out. And she would freeze. She would shrink wrap them and all that stuff. She, she really worked on it. And she was so faithful to do it week after week after week. And she was going to make them chicken. And she had chicken in this pot. And, 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 and Kelsey, or Kinsey rather, was coming in the airport. So my wife thought that she turned the stove off and went to the airport. She didn't. She left it on. And so she got stuck in traffic. And by the time she came back to the house, the whole house smelled like a chain smoker. Smokers had been living in our house for like 25 years. It stunk so bad. God bless George Jury, who came there, brought all his team in there. It was amazing. And they called it, it's a protein fire. A what? 
a protein fire. And it was amazing. It, it, we had to get rid of the cabinets because we, we scrubbed the cabinets. People scrubbed them down twice. They still stunk like, like, like cigarettes. The, 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 every, every piece of material that could be washed and dry cleaned, they ripped up the carpets. They tore out the walls. It was amazing. A protein fire. My point is, here you are outside of the tabernacle and all day long, you're burning meat. And I'm not talking well done. I mean burn that thing till there's nothing left. And what's the point? The point is that it is an ultimate sacrifice that you give every bit of it to the Lord because he gave his very best for you and me. How in the world can you and I give any less than our very best for him? Oh, oh. And I I think, think of how... Terrible! It smelled outside. Horrible! But they had old, they were called apothecaries. And their work was called the apothecary. As if you've ever been in an old little town, or go to West Virginia, go, they, they're not called drugstores. They're the apothecaries. Because there were people in the priesthood, and their job, all they did every day, different saps from trees, different roots, different things from flowers. They ground it, and they made this incense. And they put it on the, and so you're outside, and it stinks to high heaven out there. And you come into that you you, you know you got a gate and then you got a door and then you got a veil but when you went into the door of the holy place you smelled this amazing aroma and the bible calls it a sweet say i've asked people this for years please give me the verse where anybody asked david to fight goliath I thought for you, Saul asked him, or his brothers goaded him. No. no. He said, is there not a cause? David, nobody asked David to fight Goliath. David volunteered to fight Goliath. And when you have that kind of spirit that you're willing to, to just, I, I, I talked to Diana here, but she said, can I talk to you, Pastor, for a moment? I said, yes. And I told you some of the story Sunday, how she's just gathering up all these clothes and then these prayer requests and calling these people back. And she, and she said, I, I, I feel like the Lord is giving my, me my very own ministry. And I told her the story in Matthew 9. A woman grabbed the hem of his garment and she was healed. But in, it's Matthew 14 or 15. Just a couple of chapters later, it said, And many besought him if they could just touch the hem of his garment. So that woman opened up a whole new ministry that had never existed before. And that's what's going on in this church. We're, we had a wonderful compliment from Brother Sarsfield and Brother Hunley. They said, We've been all over the United States and we've been in all these United Pentecostal churches. And you are closer right now. Shadi is Azar, who is who is a Muslim doctor that's living in Dearborn right now, trying to get a, a an Islamic church, an Arabic church, and 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 he called, and our team went Sunday, and he taught them for several hours, and he said, "Your church is ahead of the other apostolic churches in this area because you're dealing with young people. You're not just trying to reach grandma and grandpa, but you're getting the sons and the daughters who are." affecting the dad and the mom. I'm, I'm, I, 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 we're flying by the seat of our pants, folks. We don't have any manual to go with this. But listen, we have the ability to birth a new ministry in this church and in this city. And if God will help us and have mercy on us, we can be a means of many other congregations doing what we did. But it started here. And I'll tell you why it'll start. 
because it's a sweet, I did it because I wanted to. I did it out of gratitude. I did it out of a thankful heart. I think of Talisha and all the many, the, the, the tentacles of this thing is going and going and going and going. I didn't say anything to her, but she just felt this burden. And, and oh, you know, my, oh, Pastor, you, you let Talisha do that. You, 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 got, you got to keep your thumb on that, you know. Oh, that's not who Renee and I are. The Bible said, don't be a lord over God's heritage. My job is not to keep my thumb on you and say, I'm the boss, you're the applesauce. Don't you dare think about developing some ministry that's going to eclipse me. I'm the big kahuna here. This is Harold Hoffman's church. You go to Brother Hoffman's church. You got that? Don't you forget that. Not Jesus' church. This is, this is, this is Brother Hoffman's church. His first church. And Brother Hoffman's first. Don't you ever forget that. He's first. That's the way this works. No, it doesn't work that way. My wife and I praying, I'm praying again and again. I want you to be used of God to, to feel desire and burden on your spirit and give birth to something. I'm the, the last thing I'm going to do is re- now, if you're getting doctrinally messed up, then I'll correct you because you know, spirit of prophet subject to the prophet. I get that. How can two walk together if they don't agree? The answer is very simple somebody's going to have to submit. I've had lots of incidents, incidents through the years where I've had to look at people and say, look, I don't know what God called you to do, but God called me to be the pastor. And it's very obvious that you don't agree with what I'm doing. So you've got a choice to make. You either submit or you go somewhere else. It's that, that, that's my job as a leader. I'm, I'm the under-shepherd. I got to make sure wolves don't get in here. I got to make sure the bugs and the and the and the, and the, the you know the disease don't get in here. But 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 if you think I'm going to spend every day of my life being living in paranoia and say, did you hear what Talisha did? She, they got T-shirts. They got T-shirts. Did they ask you for permission to print? Did you give the pastor seal approval for them T-shirt? Mm-mm. Well, I guess I'm not a real pastor. Because I'm not going to be one of these guys that say, you need to kiss the Pope's ring. I want the thing to flourish. I want a spirit of gratitude to live in this house and say, I did it because I was thankful. It's the way I was raised. It's the way, listen to this verse and I'm done. Here's Amos 5 and 21. I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your assembly. You know why? It doesn't smell good. God got COVID long before any. We had spaghetti for dinner tonight. I didn't say she's laughing over here. My wife doesn't have recipes. She cooks by smell and taste. And she mm, need a little bit more of that. I had spaghetti tonight. It was the whitest spaghetti I've ever had in my life. And it had some sauce on it, but it wasn't what I'm used to. And she said, I'm sorry, honey, but I can't smell. And you ain't kidding. Because she dumped red pepper flakes in there like, 
And I'm, my mouth is still burning, and I ate at 4 o'clock this afternoon because got the virus. God said, I'm not going to smell in your churches. You know why? Because it stinks. You're not doing it out of gratitude. You're doing it out of duty. You're doing it out of duress. Have to and not want to. Listen to this, and then we'll pray. I love this. This is the message. Romans 12 and 1. I beg you to present it all. Our biggest problem as a child of God is this fact of wholly dedicating ourselves to God. Watch. Here's 12 and 1. Here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Watch this verse. This is so powerful. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize he, what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging, wow, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. God develops well-formed. So what he's saying is, don't you let them drag you down to their level. You lift them up to yours. Hallelujah. Stand. Stand. Lift your hands in your voice with me. Lord Jesus, this is Bible class. The pace is slower, but the word is rich. And we thank you, God, for the power of your word. And I'm asking you, God, to allow what I've taught here tonight to be the good, precious seed that you said it is that we were born again, not with corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. I'm asking you, Lord, amen, that the birds won't swipe it, amen, that the weeds won't choke it out, and there'll be so many rocks in our spirit that there'll be no nourishment there for the seed. Lord Jesus, I'm trusting that the seed has fallen on good ground. Let the root grow deep. And then let us stretch our boughs and branches tall and wide. And on the extreme edges of those branches, Lord, I want fruit, amen, to be formed and to be found every month, a different manner of fruit. Lord Jesus, let this be a place ever and always that's grateful. That's grateful for what you've done for us. And regardless of where we are economically, we're not try, you're not asking me to do something I can't do. But you're sure not going to allow me to get away with anything less than I'm capable of doing. And so we make a covenant with you tonight, Lord, that for the rest of our living for you, we're going to give you our best life now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being here. 
I know you've worked. I, I get it. Go home and get a night of rest. But before we meet back, ask the Lord to direct your steps that you can find somebody that you can pray for them, testify, give them a word of encouragement. Okay? I love you. I love you all. It's going to be warmer tomorrow. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you once again for coming. You've been a-